You're listening to the Table Church Podcast. The Table is a community in Orville, California that aims to follow Jesus by doing what he did. Love God, love our neighbors, and serve those in need. Find us at thetablechurch.net, Instagram, or Facebook. And now for the message. We are in the last week of this sermon series called The Monsters Within. We're spending four weeks. This is the fourth week. And we're looking at how the Bible portrays the evil inside of us. Uh, Christians have believed forever that deep inside of us, there's some broken stuff going on. I'm going to move up here. There's some broken stuff going on in our hearts, minds, lives, souls. And the way they did that was they talked about body parts. So we're looking at how the ancients thought about our body parts as a way to name the broken stuff inside of us. We have done so far eyes, talked about the evil eye. We talked about our heart last week and what that meant for scripture uh, in biblical times. We talked about flesh these monsters within us. Today, we are going to be talking about the tongue. The tongue, which always elicits a little bit of a reaction because I think we all struggle with this part of our body when it comes to words and ideas. If you have any questions, please feel free to send them. I'll take a look at the end. Um, Questions I'm not going to answer unless you ask, uh, like, is it a sin to swear? Um, What about oaths and promises? Is it okay to name the one that shall not be named? That's a <laughs> Harry Potter joke. If it was, is it okay to say that person's name? But we know words are so, so powerful, very powerful. I can think of times when people in my life said something and it just struck the right way. I remember being in third grade and Mrs. Peterson said, out of the blue, she said, and I, and I brought it up before, but she was just like, James, in front of everybody, someday you are going to be the mayor of this town and we're all going to vote for you. And she's like, are we all going to vote for James? And everyone's like, I guess. And uh, would not, I would not take that position right now in, a, in any way. But it was very kind. I remember Mr. Schmatz in high school. Uh, I made a joke during class, but I answered the question correctly. And I'd gotten so much trouble in Mr. Schmatz's class. I had to sit outside and just count to a thousand by threes um, just so many times. Um, I just counted to 333. I did not do it by threes. But I remember one time making a smart remark, but also answering the question. And he looked at me, it seemed angry, and it was forceful and had a lot of energy. And he was just like, you are so smart when you don't mess around all the time and try to disrupt the class. And uh, I remember that was a a great encouragement to me. I remember another time in English class with Miss Gwinnett. I remember starting off class with just a ton of jokes. And she said in front of everyone, can I talk to you outside? And I said, yes. Uh, We went outside. I was embarrassed. um, But she went outside and she said, listen, my options are to send you to the office if you keep joking or let you just run the class over. And she was like, and you have the power to do that. If I let you stay, this is your classroom like you. And uh, so please work on a team with me. um, And I would very much appreciate that. And I just loved that she acknowledged what, all that stuff that was going on. We went back in the classroom, and I was uh, embarrassed that she called me out in front of everyone. So when we walked in, I bent down on my knee and proposed to her in front of everybody. Just as a final joke, just kind of losing things up, and then I backed way off. But I always appreciated these teachers who said kind things, even when I was uh, reacting poorly. Um, but also there's times when words hurt, right? When words cut deep, I remember those as well. Other times, powerful words, right? Like when I asked my wife to marry me, and she said yes. And then standing at the altar, and she says, right, I do. 
These are powerful words for us. We know how powerful words can be in our life. So what's the problem? What's the problem with our tongue? What's the problem with words? The problem is that there's so much evil inside of us, entrenched inside us, that any solution to our words or the issues that we have has to come from outside of us. This is how the Bible wants to talk about the evil within us and the way that our tongue affects us. James chapter 3 is a famous passage on the tongue and our words. He says, people can tame and already have tamed every kind of animal, bird, reptile, and fish. He's been a little hyperbolic. No one can tame the tongue, though. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it, we both bless the Lord and Father and curse human beings made in God's likeness. Blessing and cursing come from the same mouth, my brothers and sisters, and it shouldn't be this way. That's the problem, is that our tongues can be so full of evil, or, or better yet, be a mouthpiece for the bad stuff, the darkness, the brokenness, which is inside us. You know how I preach, and if you don't, I preach head, heart, hands, three points, something for us to know with our heads, feel with our hearts, and do with our hands so that we have a holistic faith running from our head, heart, hands out into the world. And so I always ask the question, what does God want us to know about this topic? And what God wants us to know about the tongue is that our tongue has the power of life and death. Our tongue has the power of life and death. Proverbs 18 says very clearly, I'm not making this up, death and life are in the power of the tongue. It can't get more clear than that. Our tongue has the power of life and death. And I bring that up because sometimes I think we want to minimize. We want to minimize the problem. We want to minimize the issues. Uh, it reminds me of one of my favorite memes, right? It's like when people talk about my driving, and this comes from a movie that's funny, but, but did you die, right? This is how I talk to my wife sometimes when I'm like taking a shower, and maybe she starts the dishwasher, and I'm like, it got cold very quickly. And she's like, but did you die? Like trying to minimize the issues that I'm bringing up. Minimization is a real process in psychology. Essentially what it is, is when you can't deny the issue, when you can't ignore the issue, our next solution is to minimize the issue. And I think we do this with our tongues. And certainly James, the brother of Jesus, is worried that we're going to do this with our tongues. He's worried we're going to minimize the power of our words and fall prey to that stuff that is in us, that brokenness. And so he comes up with three analogies. He says, like a bridled horse when you put a bit in its mouth, you can lead this giant horse anywhere it can go. And this is like the tongue. It's small, but it can lead your body in all kinds of different directions. He says, think about ships. They're huge, and they need large gusts of wind to lead them where they want to go. But he says, they're, they're, you steer them with a small little rudder. This is your tongue, a small part of you that can take you in directions you do or don't want to go. And lastly, we know all too well about this one living in our community the tongue is a small flame. A small flame can set a whole forest on fire, and the tongue is a small flame of fire, a world of evil at work in us. It contaminates our entire lives. Because of it, the circle of life, like the way we do life, is set on fire. The tongue itself is set on fire by the flames of hell. James does not want us to minimize the power of our words and our tongue, and we have the ability and issue. We have the, we have the ability to do this. In fact, I think many of us do. It's just words. It's just things. I can't help how you respond to the stuff that I say, right? But James does not want you to minimize it. You have the power of life and death in your tongue. 
because you are made in the likeness of God. And when God creates the universe, how does God do it? Does it with a word, right? And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God creates life with a word. And since we are made in God's image and likeness, our words have also the power of life and death. Jesus wants us to know how serious words are when he says, I tell you that people will have to answer on judgment day for every careless or useless word they speak. By your words, you will either be judged innocent or condemned as guilty. Words are incredibly important. The Bible does not want us to minimize the power they have, which is, I just said what's on this slide. Our words are not something to minimize, but properly viewed, we have the power of life and death. Yeah, that's what God wants us to know. Very important. Don't minimize the importance of your words. What does God want us to experience inside of us and our hearts? What does God want us to do with this stuff? God, the Bible wants us to experience a clean heart because our words come from our heart. The Bible is pretty clear about this all over the place. Jesus says flat out, what fills the heart comes out of the mouth. Your words aren't coincidental. They come from the core of you. If you were here last week, you learned that heart for us is the seat of emotion. It's where we, where we think our, well, not where we think, but where we, we kind of put our emotions there. Sadness, grief, love, joy, hope, these kinds of things. For the Bible and for biblical ancient times, the heart was the center of your whole self. It's where you thought. It's where the center, it's where your spirit was. It's where your will was. It's where the big emotions came from. Your inner self resided in your heart. And so when they talk about heart, they don't mean just your emotions. They mean your entire being. Your words come from the core of who you are, Jesus says. Jesus has got a bunch more teaching on this. I couldn't bring it all today, but I brought enough. Here's the greater context of that. Either consider the tree good and its fruit good, or the tree rotten and its fruit rotten. A tree is known by its fruit. Children of snakes. I love this. This brings me joy because Jesus is talking about the importance of words and then he calls people children of snakes. So whatever, whatever I'm going to tell you about words, children of snakes is a total viable insult. You can have that. That just brings me a lot of joy. He's like, be careful about your words, children of snakes. Like, um, how can you speak good things while you are evil? What fills the heart comes out of the mouth. Good people bring out good things from their good treasure, but evil people bring out evil things from their evil treasure. Jesus is clear about this. Your roots, their fruit matches the roots. Whatever the core of you is, whatever your inner person is like, that is going to be revealed in your words, which happened to me. I may have told the story to some of you or here on, I forget if I've said it out loud here. This is the Wendy's parking lot. I love Wendy's. It's amazing. One day, uh, this was the cars. I made a huge, this is a courtroom, and I made a diagram for you guys. It gets better. These are the cars in line. If you know Wendy's, it's connected to the Smart and Final parking lot. There's all kinds of stuff going on. I'm this car in the middle. There's a lady, an elderly lady in a green truck right here, and she is leaving a lane for cars that need to get by. Very polite of her. This is the setup. And then a car comes from uh, the street and cuts everybody. Oh, 
I get out of my car. I walk over to him and I said, bro, you just cut like five cars. Now, sometimes I exaggerate for effect uh, with numbers. It's not five, it's three. And I said, you need to go to the end of the line. And he goes, I, didn't, I thought the line was right here. And I go, ma'am, and I'm, I'm upset, and I feel bad for this person. Were you in line? And she goes, I was just leaving a lane. And I go, she was just leaving a lane. You need to go to the back of the line. And he was like, okay. And he rolls up his window, and I see his backup lights come on, and I'm like, problem solved, right? Issue solved. I walk back to my vehicle, and as I sit down, I see his lights, his backup lights go off. I see these cars move forward, and I see him go forward. So I get out of my car again. <laughs> and I walk up to him and I roll your window down. But I'm much louder than this. And I was like, you need to go to the back of the line. And he said, I didn't cut five cars, I only cut three. <clears throat> and I was like, so you admit it. And I was like, you need to go to the back of the line right now. And he rolled up his window and he goes, okay, okay, okay. And I see his backup lights come on. And the girl in the car is talking. And I'm hoping she's encouraging him to do the right thing. That's what I'm hoping. <laughs> I get back to my car. I see his backup lights go off again. And then I see him pull forward. I didn't make another animation for that. And I had a, a choice at that time. To get out or not. And so uh, in my head, as I was yelling at this guy in the Wendy's parking lot, I went... This is going to end in three ways. Either I'm going to get what I want, but it's going to come at great cost. Or, and then I thought of you all. I said, how would these folks think if they saw their pastor wearing a seat justice shirt, yelling at a guy in the Wendy's parking lot? Or what if someone's recording this and it's going to be on Facebook and it's going to go Orville viral and it's just me yelling at a guy in the Wendy's parking lot? And then I went, I think they would be okay. This is a righteous cause. <laughs> So I go to get out of my car, and I was like, I better check in with Jesus. And then as soon as I, like, even thought the name Jesus, Jesus was like, I do not care. Do not go talk to this guy. You are not going to fight somebody in the Wendy's parking lot for cutting the line. And so I really did feel like Jesus restrained me. What I was going to say was, don't, don't let that girlfriend get you beat up in the Wendy's parking lot over hamburgers. You, and th what I was going to say was, you have to go home with her, I get it, but you have to go home with yourself. Do the right thing. You know what I mean? You have to sleep with yourself at night. But Jesus was like, you can let this go. It's a hamburger. You'll be fine. And then thinking about that later, because I thought about you all, and I thought about getting videotaped, and I thought about, I, I just realized that there's a lot going on in here, right? Anger, frustration, how quickly... Like, Jesus is like, hey, if people hit you, you should turn the other cheek. And I'm like, that guy cut me in Wendy's, and I was ready to throw down in the middle of this parking lot. There is stuff going on in my heart, and it overflowed from my mouth, and it was, uh, I was embarrassed. I was like, please, no one be recording this. Or see me at all, the busiest intersection in Orville, yelling at a guy in the parking lot. This is the stuff that Jesus is talking about. Our roots and our fruit match. And whatever is coming out of the fruit, it's indicative of what's going on here. And we need to figure that out and be able to change the soil and the fruit. How do we change the soil and the fruit, right? I'm not just telling you that you should change it because that's not grace and that's not how Christianity works. It's not try harder. That, that, that never works. 
So how do we change the soil and the fruit? Jesus in John 15 gives us a very clear uh, instructions. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. A branch cannot produce fruit by itself, but must remain in the vine. Likewise, you can't produce fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches, and if you remain in me and I in you, then you will produce much fruit without me. You can't do anything. It's not about trying harder. I'm not telling you to just be extra, extra careful because that doesn't change the core of who you are. It might make you polite. It might make you a little bit nicer in public. It might make you be worried about getting caught on camera and being posted on Orville current events. Might help you avoid jail. But it doesn't change what's going on inside of you. It doesn't change what's going on in our hearts. And so the way Jesus tells us that we got to change the fruit of our life is by remaining, abiding, spending time with Jesus, likely in prayer and reading scripture and all kinds of other spiritual disciplines that that, that Christians have found to be helpful in this. But ultimately what the Bible wants us to know about our experience, about what's going on inside of us, is that our words come from our hearts. Evil words come from a the evil parts of our heart, right? Good comes from the good parts of our heart and good hearts come from Jesus, not from trying harder. What does God want us to do with our hands? What are we supposed to do with our hands when it comes to tongue? Uh, This is some simple advice, some scriptural advice, but some difficult advice. It's this. Speak less. Choose carefully. Man, this is, this is, I'm, I'm preaching to myself right now. I love filling awkward silence. That is like, there is something in me when I am in a group of people and it gets too quiet for too long. I'm like, I got to say something. I don't even know if this story is any good, but I'm going to start it and see if we can get somewhere, which is then how I end up exaggerating because I got to be like, I got to make this good. Three cars is not enough. It's got to be five cars, right? That guy cut five cars. Like that is so much worse than three cars. Um, I'm speaking my le- myself here. Let's go through these one at a time. Speak less. How do we speak less? Christians have always emphasized speaking less. Always. We have 100 verses about this. I'm going to give you a few. Proverbs 13 says, People who watch their mouths guard their lives, but those who open their lips wide are ruined. Proverbs 10, With lots of words come wrongdoing, but the wise restrain their lips. Proverbs 17, Wise are those who restrain their talking. Even fools who keep quiet are deemed wise. Those who shut their lips are smart. That's something my grandma always said. She was just like, man, if you just shut up for a second, people think you're so smart. I was like, eh, I'll test it. (laughs) President Calvin Coolidge said, "Uh, I have noticed that nothing I never said ever did me any harm. (laughs) This is my man, John Wesley. I I have to bring up, uh, anyways, he's a 17th, hundreds, uh, founder of Methodism. A lot of churches you know, like Methodist, like Wesleyan, like Nazarene, like Church of God, like a lot of Pentecostals. Uh, he, he kind of founded that whole movement in England. Uh, brilliant, uh, brilliant uh, organizer and uh, churchman. He has some advice for voting that I've wanted to share, and in the middle of it, it's about speaking. And so this is his advice for voting. It comes from his journal in October 6th. who had votes in the ensuing election, and this is how he advised them, three rules. He says, vote for the person 
you judge most worthy. Number two, he says, then speak no evil of the person you voted against. And then finally, number three, the most important, take care that your spirits are not sharpened against those that voted on the other side. Man, wouldn't that be some great rules if we all followed that? Wouldn't our uh, society be a little, I hope you guys were a little nervous when I talked about voting, but I think those are great rules that we can all follow. I know that politics has a way of making you feel justified and righteous like you're standing in the middle of a Wendy's parking lot and someone just cut you and you're ready to just tell people off. I know that you're like, they are bad. Those people are wrong. I have to tell them. But I think there's a way in which we can respect each other's conscience and the Holy Spirit within you to help you, guide you, and direct you on the way that you think is best to vote. And we can honor each other in that way, not speak evil against the people we voted against, and to make sure that our spirits aren't sharpened against one another who vote differently than us. But ultimately, I brought that up because not speaking, speaking less is vital to giving the Holy Spirit time to work on our tongues. James says this, know this, my dear brothers and sisters, everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak. Speak less. Second part of this, choose carefully, and we are wrapping up. If you have any questions, feel free to send them now. Choose your words carefully, which is helpful when you're speaking slowly. Colossians says your speech should be always gracious and sprinkled with insight so that you may know how to respond to every person. So speak less, speak slowly, choose carefully and make sure there's grace involved. Ephesians 4 says, don't let any foul words come out of your mouth. Only say what is helpful when it is needed for building up the community, us, so that it benefits those who hear what you say. First and the easier steps is to speak less, speak slowly, and choose our words carefully. I saw some text. Any questions come in? Somebody took my advice in the beginning and asked is, what about swearing? Is it a sin to swear? And my answer for that is, I don't swear. And one of the reasons I don't swear is because I I actually learned this from Matt, and it was something that resonated with me. Uh, There was someone he knew in college, and he was like, I wonder if that person knows Jesus. They seem like they have a joyful spirit. They must know Jesus. And then they said a word that seemed inappropriate to him. And he went, oh, they must not know Jesus. And then he realized that that was judgmental of him, that he shouldn't make that judgment. But he made another more mature move that I thought was really impressive, which was, I wonder if when I use inappropriate words culturally, if people think that about me. And so it wasn't a... Uh, it wasn't a, a law against uh, saying swear words. It was, I want to make sure people know that I'm connected to Jesus. And if my words in some way might betray that, I need to be careful about that. Man, I thought that was so smart. And so for me, that was helpful for me. But ultimately, swear words are words. And they only have the meaning that we put on them. And the more important rule is something that we've already talked about. I don't think there are words that are off limits, but there are heart and motivations that need to be taken in consideration. Are you saying the thing that you're saying to build someone up? Are you saying the thing to say, to, to, to be edifying and lift people up? You can never say a swear word in your life and tear people down, right? And you can be someone who might have uh, issues with your tongue and be someone who's building people up. So I'm not sure that there's a, a strict law on that, but 
I'll let the Holy Spirit be guiding you and directing you. Are, is it gracious? Is it seasoned with insight? Is it meant for building up others? Uh, those are the questions we're asking, not what is the law that needs to be not broken. Do you think repeating positive phrases results in positive change? This is a great question. And I'm going to read into the question. I think uh, maybe there's some concern about mantras or maybe even some like other religion, spiritual practices. But ultimately, Christians have always believed in something called meditation. And the difference between Christian meditation and Eastern meditation is Eastern meditation is about emptying our minds and Christian meditation is about filling our mind with God's truth. And so I think having some godly, even better yet, some scriptural um, phrases, ideas, theological truths to fill our mind is a good thing. And so uh, I think it is good and right to repeat godly and scriptural phrases. I don't know if the phrases in themselves will create positive changes, but a mind focused on God's truth will lead you in a good direction. Great question. Let's wrap up this sermon and move into a time of communion. With our head, God wants us to know that our words have the power of life and death. Do not minimize it. God has given you an incredible gift, and let's use it well for the people around it and for ourselves. With our heart, God wants us to know that our words come from the overflow of our heart, our true self, not just our emotional self, our true self. Better hearts come from being with Jesus. And with our hands, uh, we are to, uh, as first steps, speak less, speak slowly, speak carefully. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this time. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your instruction to us. I am blessed that we are able to name the evil that is within us. We are able to name that there are broken parts of us that we cannot fix on our own. Maybe it's not our tongues directly, but the ways in which we use our words can be problematic or can bring life. Father, would you help us to take the steps to remain with you? Would you help us to be open to your presence in our life? Would you help us to spend more time abiding in you and with you so that you as the vine would help us as the branch experience better fruit primarily today in the way that we speak? Would you help us to see that our words are powerful? less, speak more powerfully, choose more carefully. Lord, now as we come to a time of communion, uh, we know that you meet us here. And so would you begin that work of abiding and changing our hearts and soil at this table as we come to the bread and the cup? Would your spirit be working mightily in us? And would your spirit be in these elements so that it would do a great work? And Lord, we give you thanks and praise for what you're going to do. And we say these things in Jesus' name. Amen.